we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And you'll pardon my uh, squeaky voice. I'm uh, getting over a respiratory infection. But what we're going to talk about today, we're going to be talking with some co-founders of a like-minded think tank that covers similar issues as CIS, but is based in France, so deals with French immigration and demographic issues. And the background here, before I introduce our guests, is that Recently, several like-minded organizations in France, in Israel, in Hungary, and the United States came together and started something called the International Network for Immigration Research, INIR. And it's not an organization or anything. It's a cooperative agreement for information sharing and what have you. And that's how we came to know the people at this organization in Paris is called, in English, it would be the Observatory of Immigration and Demography. I won't even try to pronounce it French because my accent is terrible. I'll let them do it. Two of the co-founders are with us today, Nicolas Monti and Maxime Aymar. And so I'm going to ask them to tell us a little bit about their background, the organization, and then we'll talk about some of the immigration issues France is facing and maybe how they relate to what's going on in the United States. So welcome, gentlemen, Nicholas and Maxime, for joining us. Nicolai, if you want to go first and introduce yourself and uh, you know a little bit about what the background here is. Thank you so much, Mark, for having us on your CIS podcast. Um, as you said, my name is Nicolai, and I'm one of the lucky co-founders of the Observatoire de l'Immigration et de la Démographie. So this is the French way of saying it. Um, it's an organization, a think tank more precisely. We founded three years ago now. It started from, a, let's say, a, a basic statement, which was that uh, there was a, a growing distrust among French public opinion regarding immigration policies, which uh, were implemented in our country. Um, as you may know, uh, France has been one of the very first European countries to experience massive immigration and more specifically massive non-European immigration mm -hmm. um, ever since the 1960s and 70s. But uh, of course, at the turn of the 70s and 80s, immigration has changed dramatically, both in its scale and its nature. It has become some sort of permanent settlement immigration. And this is now, uh, I would say, the topic which is at the forefront of most of the, the French political debates and uh, infighting. And we figured out that there was a void in the French public debate, a void that could be fulfilled by an organization which would have a double stance. First stance, a clear commitment to facts, to scientific, I would say, rigorness, to the will not to rely on ideology, but to rely as much as possible on data, 
on expert works. So this was our first stance. And our second stance was a nonpartisan approach. And this is something that is important anywhere, of course, and I know it is also in the US, but it's even more important in France because for a long time, immigration has been captured as a partisan issue and it has become uh, difficult to discuss it if you did not want to be, I would say, cornered into uh, some particular spaces of the political spectrum. So we had this will, let's say, to, to get the immigration topic out of the partisan ghetto and to put it in the middle of the public discussion table, let's say. Maxime, perhaps you would like to add something on it? Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Mark, and thanks for CIS to have us today. So I'm Maxime, and I've been working with Nicola for the last years with the Observatory for Immigration and Demography. The whole idea is that at the very beginning, uh, l'Observatoire was actually a bunch of friends discussing immigration, discussing different political topics. And um, we did realize that actually a lot of mistakes and also a lot of lies were being told about these two subjects in the French medias, in the French media coverage of immigration. And actually the truth was quite clear and uh, was quite easy to access because we have national statistics, we have data available created and uh, performed by a lot of national agencies which are actually doing their job which is like collecting data performing analysis at the very beginning we were just thinking okay why everyone is not using that data using that work to actually make their job which was um, telling the french citizens the french taxpayers the truth about immigration and also having um, a realistic uh, policies about immigration so that's how what was actually a bunch of friends discussing um, a very taboo subject in France gave birth to uh, the organization it is right now, which actually I think is the first think tank discussing immigration policies in France right now. And um, Nicola and I have to say as well that the CIS at the time was a strong inspiration for us because um, Nicola had the opportunity to meet the CIS and to understand what the CIS was doing for the last years in the US. And we are thinking okay, that's actually what France needs the most at the time, uh, something which is non-partisan, something which is using real data, uh, something which is actually telling the truth Interesting. in the most scientific way as possible. Right. Well, I'm glad CIS was available to be an inspiration there. Just to dig in a little more to the background, first of all, where do you, Maxime and Nicolas, come to this issue from? I mean, you're relatively young. What were you before? Researchers, attorneys? Were you civil servants? Uh, how did you come to the issue to begin with? Actually, Maxime and I were both strategy consultants. We both had the opportunity to work in the public sphere, especially along with the, the French Ministry of Interior, which deals with these kind of issues. I would say this was not the driving force for us. I'm going to reply first, and then Maxime, of course, you'll you take the lead. Um, as my personal case is concerned, I would say that there have been two driving factors. The first one was my experience as a youth, as a teenager in the suburbs of Paris, which, um, as you may know, are territories which have been heavily uh, impacted, heavily mm -hmm. transformed by mass immigration over the last four decades. So I would say I had a, a first-hand experience of what the challenges were regarding mass immigration. That was not, I would say, the idealistic view that... Uh, I could have been taught by uh, some of the official experts on the, mm -hmm. on the topic. So this was my first personal driving force. And the second one is probably linked to uh, my student life. 
I attended um, a, a university in Paris called Sciences Po, which is uh, which were reputed and which is uh, uh, mostly frequented by uh, children of the bourgeoisie. People did not have the same experience as I did regarding immigration. I see. And I was struck by the fact that my fellow classmates were not able to to hear what I had to tell them about it. So I would say that this was this gap, this mind gap between uh, them and, my, and myself, which uh, first made me realize that there was uh, an issue to be addressed as regarded, I would say, the holistic approach of immigration. don't know about you, Maxime. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think um, all the co-founders, including us, actually have activities in which we have to um, work with data or even to perform analysis. So that was definitely of any help because we needed to get to the resource of uh, what is the immigration data. I mean, we should be able to to perform analysis and um, yes, to, to track that or even to, to read the text like something legal. So, I mean, all the co-founders are used to that. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is um, as well, we are all from business or engineering or political sciences schools in France, which, yes, can, can be said to be quite famous in France. And I think this is the exact same phenomenon that can be seen in America with maybe what's happening in the campus, like in Ivy League schools or Right. I mean, but you cannot discuss uh, certain types of subjects, and uh, immigration is one of them, meaning that there was only one possible ideology about immigration. Uh, that was the idea that immigration is good, immigration is for the common good, immigrants are here to work, and they are actually supporting this uh, society, they are, they are contributing to, to this country. And it was absolutely not possible to discuss any subject. So we realized there was a gap between what was being said in these schools, which was supposed to actually uh, help the elite of tomorrow to be able to choose and to be able to manage an entire country. And what the French taxpayer, what the average common Frenchman was thinking. And um, we had to say, OK, we need to, we need to be in that gap, to get in that gap. And maybe just to see by ourselves uh, which side is right, actually. Is there a problem with immigration? Or people think that there is an issue with immigration or they're right? Is it only fueled by racism? Is it fueled by something else? Is there a part of truth in that? Or maybe all the elites mistaken by something else? Or they be afraid of something? So that's how it began, actually. Interesting. Now, when Americans think about the immigration debate in France, you know, the first person who comes to mind is Le Pen. I mean, the old man and now his daughter. And so you all are not coming out of sort of the Le Pen approach or Le Pen crowd to address this issue, right? In other words, this is a different kind of thing that you all are doing? Yeah, absolutely. We are completely out of the partisan landscape. So uh, our goal, and so far we have achieved it uh, quite uh, satisfyingly in our view, is really to be able to talk to the wider political spectrum. We have uh, parliamentarians, we have members of member of the current administration, also actually the Macron administration, who are, I would say, uh, regular um, interlocutors for us, people we, we talk to on a frequent basis. So the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Mark, uh, our main goal is also to get the, the immigration topic out of the partisan ghetto, which is to say that you rightly, you rightly said that for a while it was closely associated with the Le Pen brand, I mean, we we are not, I would say, pro Le Pen. We are not against Le Pen. We are not pro Macron. We are not against Macron. 
we're really doing something different. And this is something that uh, I would say it was a step to be taken in the French public debate because the whole think tank culture is uh, a bit less deeply rooted in France than it is in the US. So uh, mm -hmm. this approach uh, seemed quite new at the beginning for some of our political counterparts, but I think we've managed to make it uh, understood. Interesting. And also, I think in France, uh, during a long time, we were not supposed to talk about immigration because uh, it was said that it will fuel, actually, the nationalistic spectrum of the French political scene. But um, what we realize right now, that the consequence is even worse because, like, the French people, actually, are having maybe sometimes more extreme vision than what Le Pen used to say. And uh, we can see that with opinion poll, for instance, it's interesting to know that around 70% of French people are afraid of what they call a great replacement, mm -hmm. meaning that right now there is a feeling within uh, the French citizens that something terrible is happening right now. And so by avoiding speaking about migration during the last decades, I mean, the political theater in France did something much worse than maybe what a lot of politicians did. So that's something that should be taken into account. So in other words, to sort of underline what you said, Maxime, is that for a long time, the leadership classes, the chattering classes, we call them, said don't talk about immigration because it will foment nativist or racist opinion. But what you're saying, and I think this is true, this is true here, this is true everywhere, is that not talking about it is what has actually fostered more divisive opinion. And that by trying to move this into a normal policy debate, you actually make it less poisonous and less strident. I would completely agree. This is leadership reluctance to address this issue, which has made the immigration issue as inflammatory as it is now in France. So we're really working to put forward, I would say, rational and passionate approach to it. Of course, this is hard work because uh, we are coming at a stage in which the depths of public concern on immigration is now so high and so intense uh, that uh, well, our, our work uh, implies to, you know, to, to take a step back, take a step aside, and to be able to, to address uh, these issues in a public policy manner, in, a, in using uh, all the data, all the, the rational art tools we have in hand. What I wanted to ask, too, now is specifically what are you know, a couple of the concrete immigration issues that France is dealing with now? I mean, I understand broadly it's what the issues are, but I mean, are there specific policy debates that are happening now in France about what, you know, to do this particular reform or to change this particular law? I would mention three of them. There's currently in France a, a debate in Parliament regarding a, a piece of legislation which is put forward by the government on the issue of immigration but which tends to deal with uh, only a small part of the broader issue. If I had to mention these three points, it would be first the growing issue of uh, asylum, mm -hmm. because uh, asylum in France has reached unprecedented levels over the last years. The annual number of first registered asylum claims in France has grown by 227% between 2009 and 2022. Wow. So this is a trend that can be seen in many Western European countries, but it's uh, especially visible and especially high in France. Mm -hmm. A second thing would be the issues related to some bilateral agreements we have with countries, especially African countries, and especially with, with one special bilateral agreement, which is the one with Algeria, 
as you may know, Mark, as you must know, as you surely know, Algerians are the most numerous immigrants in France right now. Right. And yet they still enjoy a special derogatory status, which uh, makes it easier for them to come to France, to stay in France, to have their relatives coming to France. And this is tied to a bilateral agreement, which is uh, more than uh, 50 years old between these uh, our two countries. So the, the fact that this agreement needs to be either renegotiated or rejected is a, a growing uh, topic in France. And I must say that our, our observatoire has played a, a key role in putting this issue at the center of debate. Um, and a third topic, which is also growing, is that of French citizenship. Mm -hmm. um, actually, in France, we don't have a birthright citizenship as absolute as it is in the US. Yet, if you're born in France with two foreign parents, you automatically are granted with French citizenship when you turn 18. If you have lived in France at least five years between the age of 11 and the age of 18, to be fully precise. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is an issue because uh, since 2005 only, more than 2 million people have been granted with French citizenship. As you know, the, the population of France is around 65 million people, which what makes it even more, I would say, uh, concerning is the automatic part of it. It means that when you're 18, you, you can turn into a French citizen without actually knowing it, without ah, realizing it. Interesting. So of course, it's a, it's a matter of principle, but it's also a matter of integration because uh, more and more French people have the feeling that, well, you do not have to show that you actually belong to the French national community in order to, to be granted with French citizenship. Interesting. In the English language media, one of the main things we hear about the issue is not so much immigration into France, but illegal immigrants in Calais, getting on boats and going to England. I assume France has some role in that, either looking the other way or encouraging. In other words, I mean, Mexico does something similar in the sense that they look the other way because they want the illegal aliens to keep going and not end up in Mexico, but to continue into the United States. Is that an issue that you all are grappling with in France, or is that, is that not an issue? Any thoughts on that, Maxime or uh, Nicola? I think there are different reasons for that. Uh, I mean, um, if you take a closer look to uh, a map of Europe, you will see that there are like different roads for uh, illegal immigration. One main road is uh, coming from Greece uh, to the Balkan uh, through Hungary and then like France to the UK. The other one is coming like by Italy. Mm -hmm. So I mean, between us and them, there is only the Mediterranean. And I think there is something which is common to uh, most uh, European governments which is basically to accuse the neighboring country of uh, not doing the job that the government should be doing. And uh, it's very true for France, for instance, because as the British are saying that the French are not doing the job in Calais, I mean, generally the French government is saying the same about our neighbor, which is Italy. I see. But for instance, there, there is a lot of incentives for uh, illegal immigration in France. Maybe I should like use some, some instances of that. Sure. Maybe um, uh, you've heard about like what is like aide médicale d'état. So in France, uh, as you may know, uh, we have free healthcare mm -hmm. for everyone. But it's not only for French people. It can be also for illegal immigrants. So that means that an illegal immigrant coming into France can have free access to healthcare in France. And uh, that is for everything. And they are benefiting so much from that. But actually, some people do prefer that program like the, the program for focusing on illegal immigrant people, uh, than the usual program, which means that right now, when you're an illegal immigrant in France, 
trying to have access to free healthcare. They are asking you for a proof of you being illegal immigrants. So <laughs> that's one of the crazy situation we're experiencing here. You have to prove you're an illegal alien in order to be yes, enrolled in that program. Un- alien, yes. Unbelievable. And also, we have a lot of associations in France of people promoting, promoting and supporting illegal immigration. People fulfilled with different kinds of ideologies, saying that actually borders are the issue, not people. So they are basically using boats. They are basically using different ways to travel to bring people in, actually, in France and in Europe. And we are not doing anything against them. And that's even the opposite, because uh, walking at, uh, at sea or ID, we realized that actually um, the French government were supporting these associations, financially speaking. Right. We also gave them the access to many different government sites, especially the one to, we use to treat um, like uh, immigration issues and uh, these kind of things. So that means that not only the government is not doing anything against illegal immigration, but we have several programs encouraging illegal immigration right now. So wow. the whole idea is to make it known and just to tell people we should do something about that. And as we are non-partisan, actually, a lot of people, even in the, in the presidential party right now, acknowledge that and are ready to work about that right now, even within the presidential party. So that's why our work is as important as uh, the work CIS is doing in the U.S., for instance. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing I was going to ask is that is the kind of leadership class, broadly speaking, among you know, all parties more open now to critiques of immigration, more willing to look at ways of curtailing illegal immigration and maybe changing legal policies? I mean, as the crisis of the past few years, in English we say, move the Overton window, which means the area of acceptable discussion. Has that widened on immigration? I would say uh, there's a growing awareness on these issues, which, is, uh, which can be testified actually uh, all across Europe. In this regard, I, I think that in France, as in most of uh, at least Western European countries, this is really going to be at the center of the European election campaign which is going to, to start in a few weeks now. This is the campaign for the European Parliament? Yes, uh, absolutely. absolutely. And uh, I, I would say it's, uh, it's important that we are able to discuss this issue of immigration in a European perspective, because as you know, Mark, uh, by many ways, our immigration laws are now tied by EU legislation, which makes the, I would say the nation states' uh, ability to control borders even more narrow and narrow. Because, uh, because of EU treaties, but even more because of EU rulings, by EU courts. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is something that is, uh, I would say, critical to the very uh, survival of the European Union, because either the European Union starts to, uh, I would say, accept the fact that it has a duty to protect its own borders, to protect the borders of the Schengen area of the EU as a whole, as, for example, the Hungarian government is doing at the Serbian-Hungarian border, because Hungary is protecting its borders it has built a, a very long fence all along the Serbian Hungarian border, but by doing so, they're not only protecting Hungary, they're protecting the whole EU countries. Right. And if the EU does not take this issue into its own hands, then there will be a growing call in European nations to, uh, I would say, to repatriate power on these issues of border control. Interesting. 
we're getting to the end of the discussion, but one thing I did want to ask both of you is how do folks in Europe, I mean, France specifically, where you are, how do they view our immigration travails on our Mexican border and what's going on there? I mean, is that the kind of thing that people are mystified about why that's happening or what's, I mean, uh, any, any thoughts or any, in other words, what is the European kind of immediate reaction to what the United States is doing or facing on our southern border? Well, uh, I would say that um, like the, the good versus bad narrative that is sometimes applied to immigration policies in Europe tends to be applied by European media to the U.S. immigration situation as well. There was uh, some sort of demonization of uh, policies which, uh, which were either implemented or at least advocated under the previous administration regarding border control. But uh, within the European public opinions, I would say the situation in the U.S. is, uh, is seen as, uh, in, uh, to some extent, as less serious than the one in the European Union. Because, hmm. of course, you're the most uh, well-placed of all Mark to know about all the, the problems. Uh, generated by uncontrolled immigration in the U.S. And yet, and still, many Europeans have in mind that, you know, people coming in the U.S. mostly come from South America. I know that uh, it's become more and more diverse as regards their, their geographical background, but they would tend to think that the cultural gap between immigrants and the hosting society is probably uh, much more narrow than it is in Europe, because the central issue of immigration in Europe is becoming more and more the issue of African and North African immigration. Mm-hmm especially all the, the issues linked to some, some practices of Islam. And to this extent, the situation in the U.S. is seen as less concerning. But, uh, of course, this is a, a view from a thousand miles away. No, no, I understand. And, I, I, I mean, I probably agree with that. The, uh, there's a colloquialism in English where we're the healthiest horse in the glue factory. In the old days, you know, old horses before they died would be would be rendered and they'd be turned into glue. And so we're the healthiest horse in the glue factory because we have real problems. But like you said, I think the gap between the bulk of our immigration flow and the cultural gap is just much smaller than it is in Europe. And so um, you all have your work cut out for you. Thanks for joining us. On parsing immigration policy, our guests have been Nicola Monti and Maxime Aymar, who are two of the co-founders of what in English is the Observatory of Immigration and Demography in Paris, OID for short. You can find them online, and we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's observatoire-immigration.fr. Is that correct, the website? Absolutely. Good. We'll have, like I said, a link to their homepage. If you don't read French, that's fine. Mine is very, very elementary. But if you're using Chrome, you can select Translate to English, and it actually translates it quite effectively so you can get a sense of what they're doing. So uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Maxime and Nicola, and keep us abreast of your work in the future. Thank you for having us, Mark. Mm, Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. And finally today, I wanted to draw attention to the latest hotspot on our border, which is Lukeville, Arizona. This is the central part of the Arizona border, a pretty remote place. It has a wall the whole length of the border in that area. There's a national monument there, the Oregon Pipe Cactus National Monument. Last time I was there, there really wasn't any significant wall. 
and now there is. And what's happened over the past several days, and you'd see this at least Fox coverage, and uh, I saw a lot of it on Twitter as well, is that hundreds and hundreds of mostly single men are coming through some holes cut in the bollard fencing. So many of them, so quickly, that they're just hanging out there for days because the Border Patrol doesn't have the resources to come and get them. You know, they're building, uh, you know, campfires and what have you. There's garbage everywhere. It's kind of a replay of that Del Rio, Texas disaster with all the Haitians camped under the bridge from a while back. It's a similar phenomenon. And the reason it got my attention is not just the obvious that it's, you know, one more example of how uh, feckless this administration's immigration policy is, but the fact that they're all lining up along the wall but on our side of it. And it really highlighted the limitations of border walls. And specifically, it brought to mind a presentation made at a workshop for the International Network for Immigration Research that I'd referred to earlier in the show and that our two French guests, their think tank in Paris is part of. Well, there's Another member of that network, the Israeli Immigration Policy Center in Jerusalem, and the director of that center at the workshop we had several weeks ago, gave a presentation about Israel's own border wall, specifically the one on the border with Sinai, with the Egyptian border. And it was built in response, this is more than about a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, it was built in response to African illegal immigration. This is not the Hamas rapist murderer phenomenon that we saw in October there. These were regular illegal aliens, mostly from Sudan and Eritrea, who were paying smugglers and coming through Sinai and just crossing into Israel to do regular illegal alien type jobs, construction and dishwashing and what have you. And the Israeli border wall there was completed in 2013 and has been held up by border hawks in the United States as the gold standard, if you will, for border control. And the point of the presentation was that, yes, the border wall has been useful. Nobody's gotten across that. I mean, literally just a handful of people. It's uh, maintained by the Israeli army. I wanted to go see it last year when I was in Jerusalem, but I tried various means of getting an approval and I couldn't, and I had no intention of driving up on my own to a, to a border facility patrolled by the Israeli army. So, but the point, and so it really works. But the point of the presentation was that illegal immigration through that route had started to decline even before the wall was completed. And the reason is, they changed the policies that were incentives to draw illegal immigrants in the first place. They made it harder to be an illegal alien, easier to deport them, that sort of thing. And that started working, and the wall helped, but the wall wasn't the solution. And the proof of that is that when the Israeli Supreme Court overturned some of the anti-illegal immigration measures, the ones that reduced the incentive to come in illegally, illegal immigrants from Africa started going to Jordan, the country of Jordan, and crossing the Jordan River to go into Israel. So it's a, a wall there is not practical and isn't, you know, isn't the kind of solution 
that a wall can be on a straight land border. And the point here is that Lukeville, Arizona, and that area is actually very similar. Geographically, climate, everything in the border itself is similar to the Israeli border with Sinai. It's a land border, it's straight, it's in the desert. And yet, the reason the border wall in Lukeville isn't doing the job is because of the Biden administration's policy to reward illegal immigrants if they can get in. There are always going to be smugglers trying to cut holes in the border walls. That's always going to happen or get over them or under them or what have you. But if the attraction, the incentive to come here illegally is significantly reduced, fewer people are going to try, meaning the Border Patrol will have an easier time of confronting those attacks on the wall, whatever they happen to be. The wall will be able to buttress the border control efforts of the Border Patrol, whereas now it's almost like the wall we are hoping is a substitute for changing policies, and it can never be that. If illegal immigrants are let go into the United States so long as they can get across the borderline, whether it's over the Rio Grande or through a hole in the wall in Arizona, they're going to keep coming. And so the real problem here is the Biden administration's policies that, in effect, invite illegal immigrants to come across the border. If those are changed, then the wall can serve its appropriate purpose, which is to buttress border enforcement, one of the tools of border enforcement. So what I'm saying here is that wall haters, wall deniers are wrong. Walls are useful. But wall utopians, if that's a term anybody's ever used, are also wrong. Border uh, fences and walls are one tool among many that a country can use to control who comes into the country. They cannot be a full solution that in and of themselves, and they cannot compensate for incentives to come illegally, like the ones the Biden administration has essentially put in place with its catch and release policies. That's it for this episode of Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Krikorian, your host. If your podcast platform allows for rating and reviewing podcasts, please do so. And in any case, if you have any criticisms or complaints, suggestions for future shows, what have you, feel free to email us at center at cis.org. That's it for now. Until next week, this is Mark Krikorian signing off.